0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardim. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome, my friends. Another week. Hopefully another buck. Uh, hopefully at least hung on to your money yep it's a environment where he who loses the least wins uh zen my friends this is a market that requires zen and certainly i've been internalizing uh, the market action for the last six months i shall say and the long-term trend for investing is about as clear as it gets you buy good stuff and you hang on For decades, the Warren Buffett style of investing, it works. Uh, But between here and there, the ride that you have to endure is fierce. But that's just the way it is. Uh, You know, the risk-free investment environment pays you about 3% historically. Um, Right now, you can actually get GICs for 4%, not bad. But the long-term track record of the stock market is twice that. In fact, it's greater than twice that. It's about 10 or 11%. uh, And that is the way you can build wealth. Um, And that's why you get twice the return basically in stocks over bonds. Uh, But again, uh, there's a ticket to pay for it and it's called volatility. Uh, Again, a few points and Jack and I are in the process of writing some notes to our clients um, about ZEN. Uh, and wealth management. Uh, And that is life, my friends, as you know, is very temporary. And when when you parlay that into the world of investing, uh, when your account hits an all-time high, uh, say to yourself and remind yourself, this is temporary. And it could recede from here immediately, but ultimately the trend should continue to push it higher. So uh, the point there is Elevate the highs. Don't high watermark your portfolio mentally. And don't, my friends, do not uh, mentally spend that money or book that money as a a fait plate. Unless, of course, you exit the market, sell and leave and call it done. Uh, At which point, I think you'd find a challenge to get yourself back into the market. Uh, I flip that around. When your market is making or your account is making uh, is receding and is giving back ground, which is really all we are doing. If you're a long-term investor, you're giving back some ground here. Uh, again, remember, it is temporary. And it could, in fact, get worse. So, However, uh, temporary as it may be, when, when markets do hit bottoms and they turn and they can often turn very quickly. My next point I'm going to make uh, before I introduce my next guest is um, if you want to hit the low. If you want to hit the low, my friends, you got to be there. <laughs> Endure the pain. You will hit the low. You'll nail the low and then watch your account continue to move in the direction. Uh, I'll summarize. Markets two-thirds of the time go up, one-third of the time they go down, and over the long haul, over decades, you almost have a 99% probability stocks will outperform bonds. Uh, So with that uh, setting the table, Austin Moeller, one of our defense analysts, A brilliant man, a world traveler. He's had a wonderful discussion uh, about Berlin. His grandfather's from Germany. Of course, my ancestors are all uh, from Germany. So we had a lovely discussion about Berlin. A city, uh, as you all know, that was completely leveled and annihilated by the allies uh, to, to put Hitler to bed and end uh, hopefully the war that was to end all wars. Um, but of course, as you all know, friends, and the story has died and we have to keep the story elevated is Russia has invaded Ukraine and the story is being buried. I'm not happy about that because uh, each and every day people are being murdered. A genocide is taking place again um, and the good news is, I believe in human man, uh, uh, mankind that will end, and the city will have to get rebuilt. Uh, but between here and there, I understand, Jack, you mentioned to me that uh, uh, there's a shortage of bombs, and in fact, the Western uh, allies are perhaps running short on missiles to help the Ukraine defend themselves. Uh, Austin, Jack, please uh, thank you very kindly. Welcome, and a uh, lot to talk about here. But let, let's speak initially about how the western alliance is doing uh what's the situation in terms of munitions and bombs where do we go from here austin over to you
2: great wolf thanks thanks wolf uh great to be with you um so as you said we are currently in sort of the war of attrition stage between russia and ukraine uh and this is at the point where it's just going to come down to which side is able to produce munitions uh, and have an economy strong enough to overcome the other, to, to make uh, a decisive um, change on the front lines of the battlefield. Uh, and as you've mentioned, the, the U.S. and NATO and the West in, in general have been sending tons of arms to Ukraine, mainly uh, weapons that they can actually use, like anti-tank weapons, including the, the javelin and the tow and the NLAW, as, as well as uh, Eastern European countries that are now part of NATO and the European Union, like um, like the Czech Republic and Romania and Poland, have been shipping old uh, Soviet-era uh, vehicles and weapons to Ukraine because those weapons the Ukrainian army already knows how to use. Um, but like everything right now, we are in the middle of the supply chain crisis, and Uh, most of the Western allies, including the United States, have not stockpiled uh, huge numbers of, um, you know, artillery pieces and drones and anti-tank missiles to fight a protracted months-long or years-long war against a uh, mechanized, um, relatively modern military opponent like Russia. So, the number of anti-tank weapons and munitions and and, uh, artillery shells that are being made available to Ukraine are running out. Uh, And it's going to take time for the defense contractors in the West to be able to manufacture additional munitions to send to Ukraine. Uh, In the meantime, Russia has the opposite problem. Russia can reach deep into the Soviet stockpiles to pull out more tanks, And we've already seen them doing that. They've been pulling out 40, 50-year-old tanks like the the (laughs) T-80 and the T-62M, which are, you know, they're incredibly old, but you can stick them on a train and ship them in from Siberia and old tanks still kill, right? Uh, So they still have thousands of tanks at their disposal that they can get up and running and ship to the front. Uh, So we could end up in a scenario where Ukraine and the rest essentially run out of weapons before Russia runs out of tanks. Uh, Now, Russia's problem, of course, is, A, they're heavily sanctioned, so they're having various supply chain issues of their own, including getting uh, thermal optics to be able to put into drones and and, uh, weapon sites and tanks, uh, as well as getting their hands on drones, which they've largely been getting from the Chinese. Uh, So... Um, We're we're currently having their own supply chain issues, but most importantly, the Russian army is running out of men. Uh, They raised a force of about 200,000 men, mainly contract soldiers, along with conscripts, sent by the Ukraine war. Uh, But unfortunately for them, uh, Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. It's about the size of Texas, uh, and it requires far more men to actually take Ukraine since the government actually stood up against them and didn't collapse like was expected, perhaps, in an Afghanistan-type scenario. Uh, and so now they've sustained tremendous numbers of casualties. I mean, if you look at the first you know, 30 days of the war, they were taking extremely high World War I-type battle casualties. Uh, the estimates are that the Russia, if you include their client states like the Donetsk and the Vronsk People's Republics, they probably got about twenty thousand dead, uh, and probably a similar proportion of, of wounded and um, and deserters. So that would probably put their casualty account somewhere around forty or fifty thousand. Uh, which, if you look at the uh, the force they raised originally, uh, that doesn't leave to continue their campaign. And that's why they pulled out of their. Uh, their campaign in Kiev to take the capital that's why they pulled out of their campaign in Kharkiv they just don't have enough men left and so now they're taking everyone they have left and they've thrown it at the Donbass because that they've essentially decided that now the the key focus of this war is to take the Donbass and if they're successful in that then it's possible that that Putin may do a strategic pause uh, and declare victory essentially uh, but I, I'm somewhat skeptical that uh, the Kremlin and Moscow will be willing to allow uh, Zelensky and Kyiv to remain uh, power, just given that was a core objective originally of this war was regime change, because uh, Moscow did not uh, align with the Western-backed uh, democratic
3: government. Wow, it, it sounds like a, a, a complete uh, miscalculation on, on the resources, not only to, to take to take. Uh Ukraine but also to secure and hold it based on uh, what Putin's expectations are and obviously what his initial goals versus what um, he's going to end up actually uh, achieving at the end game here uh, Austin. but um, looking at uh, the war, uh, let's look at air superiority. let's talk about uh, Russia air capabilities that they have uh, and also the importance of, of Western drones because uh, from my expectation I would have expected Russia to have complete air superiority over Ukraine. Uh, immediately, able to hold that with relatively with relative ease, but it seems like that's not the case. Could you maybe elaborate on that? And uh, like I said, the importance of drones uh, in this campaign.
2: Absolutely. So it was certainly the expectation, and it was my expectation originally when I was writing about this and my my uh, views that this war was going to happen. Uh, that they w- that Russia would be able to achieve air superiority probably within the first two weeks of the war. Uh, Russia has the world's second largest air force. They have um, a lot of very experienced pilots um, that have flown in, in Syria and in other places that they would be able to knock out the air defenses and achieve air superiority over Ukraine. Uh, now, that has not happened, and that uh, you have to sort of um, attribute to the fact that Ukraine is not just fighting as Ukraine, right? They have full access to U.S. military intelligence, which has given them a, a, a huge boost in being able to fight the, the Russian military, especially in the air. So. There's a lot of stories that you'll read about where Ukraine had MiG-29s on the ground at an airfield, and then they got an intelligence tip that an airstrike was coming, and then they uh, they quickly scrambled the planes and moved them to another place. So there's been a lot of uh, musical chairs going on with U- the Ukrainian Air Force to hide their, which allows them to be able to, to launch an uh, airstrike unpredictably. Um, and then on top of that, they've made extensive use of drones, mainly the, uh, the Bayraktar TB2, um, which they purchased from Turkey. Uh, that's been a huge force multiplier for them in this war. Uh, it's been hugely disruptive. Um, it, it's, it's very hard to see small, uh, small drones flying at a low speed and a low altitude for a lot of air defenses. Particularly Russia's Pantsir air defense systems, uh, so they've had a lot of difficulties filling in the in the air defense gaps for their their deployed ground forces, especially when they're moving in convoy, and that of course has resulted in huge casualties for the for the Russian army.
1: Friends at home, a quick break. We're going to get back with Austin uh, Moeller, a defense analyst. We're talking military strategy and a good golly, uh, a potential end to this war. We'll have to get that opinion from Austin as well. Good friends. Uh, quick break. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto.
0: Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640, 640 Toronto. Toronto.
1: Welcome back, my friends. Hi-Fi Radio. Chatting with my good friend, analyst in the United States, with Canaccord Austin Mueller. Uh, his grandfather uh, immigrated from a city called Hamburg, home of the hamburger, uh, and that was a little Rammstein uh, queued up. But we're talking about the, the invasion uh, of the Ukraine by Russia god-awful uh, event that we're witnessing right in front of our eyes a story that's been buried and i'm not happy about that we have to keep the story elevated uh to put a quicker end to it um but again as rammstein puts it uh, du hast nicht translation you have nothing hey eh? And I've said it before, we should uh, the Ukraine should play that Rammstein <laughs> as loud as we can, point it can, point it at Moscow, and that's what they're telling You have nothing. And it's, it's remarkable. Uh, the world was quite intimidated by the Russian military. And, uh, well, the Western Alliance is, and I don't want to jinx it, but demonstrating that perhaps uh, they have less than we thought. Uh, Austin, of course, is talking about that. Jack uh, is a former captain, I shall say, in the military. It makes him such a good partner of mine, um, Yeah, a lot of uh, benefits to working with people in the military because they think a certain way, and it's uh, well in the world of finance. uh, Yeah, you want to double check and triple check things uh, as you do in the world, I guess, of military. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, let's take this to Bay Street and Wall Street. Uh, Inflation um, has been running fierce um Jagneed singh uh, on television last night holding his baby asking for the liberal governments to offer support to people as interest rate rise and it's 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 affecting people's uh, monthly and uh, daily cash flow requirements um i certainly don't think that the liberal government should be handing out more money per se uh, but certainly we have to make some adjustments and of course this uh, invasion uh of Ukraine by Russia is has put a, a, a huge spike in food prices, huge spike in energy prices, and it's incredible that this this war is also being affected by supply chain issues and exacerbating supply chain issues. I'm waiting for a car, and that's going to take some time to 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 hit my driveway based on supply chain issues. So, uh, I guess first off, Austin, you, you're a military strategist. I'm doing a lot of work on this is there an end in sight uh to the uh, to the uh, uh aggression and uh in terms of the food coming out of that part of the world um uh, what's the picture on that are they gonna be able to export any grains and any uh, of their uh, resources that the world so uh, requires uh, again 25 percent of so many items come from that part of the world uh, austin over to you uh,
2: great yeah so I'll, I'll start with the second question first. As you know, Ukraine is sort of known as the breadbasket of Europe. Uh, a huge portion of the world's grain uh, comes from Ukraine as well as uh, raw materials for fertilizer. Uh, and a lot of that is being disrupted right now, of course, by the war, which is being fought in, in the grain fields and the steppes of the Donbass, uh, where a lot of that, that grain is hmm. being produced. Uh, Additionally, uh, Russia's Navy has blockaded Ukraine's coast. So they have lots of grain silos in uh, Odessa and other ports where they can ship the grain out. Uh, But Russia has blockaded those ports and actually as recently as yesterday has started um, conducting airstrikes on the, the grain silos. Uh, because um, I mean part of it is and also Russia's been confiscating grain and sending it home to Russia um, And part of the, the strategy there is Putin believes he can put tons of economic pressure on on the world in general and to some degree him and, and Nikolai Petrushev, one of his um, uh, you know highest officials that he he is aligned with seem to be in agreement that if there is a, a famine that that would uh, help them in achieve their military objectives.
1: Jack.
3: I don't know what to say. That's a tough one, Wolf, but um, as you said, uh, out of the gate, like uh, Austin was one of the first people to really identify uh, the threat of this uh, special military operation. And you saw the buildup on the, the border there, Austin. So I'd really like to hear your thoughts on uh, how uh, this can get resolved this conflict and uh, will get resolved over time uh, because i think that is a big question about obviously food shortages energy issues that we're having and just inflation in general so uh, i know you can't really give a timeline but uh, what's your (laughs) expectation for how this um, conflict ends
2: Uh, Sure. So, I mean, the number one problem for Russia right now continues to be manpower. They're running out of men from the original force that they uh, mobilized to fight in Ukraine. And so Putin really has two options. He can take the Donbass with using tons of overwhelming artillery, as they've been doing over the past month. uh, And he can declare a partial victory there and put some ceasefire strategic pause or end of the war Um, I'm somewhat skeptical that he won't come back later and try and attack Kyiv and take the capital as he originally planned. Uh, But without more men, that's going to be very difficult. And then his alternative to that would be he raises, uh, you know, he mobilizes three or four hundred thousand more conscripts and sends them to fight in Ukraine. But that could be, of course, very unpopular at home. And, of course, as a dictator the number one thing you're worried about is preserving your own power. Uh, dictatorships have a lot more leeway to be able to fight a war much longer than a democracy can, as they're not subject to elections. But uh, even at home in a dictatorship, discontent can get so high uh, that you risk being overthrown and, and losing your power. Uh, so it's possible that if Russia is successful in the Donbass, the war could end there, at least for some period of time. Uh, and it's possible that they may not be successful in the Donbass, and they may stall out as they did in Kiev and Kharkiv. And if, if that happens, then uh, Moscow and the regime there is going to be in serious trouble and at risk of a major coup, because they'll have a huge number of casualties and nothing to show for it uh, politically in terms of military gains.
1: We speak okay. with Austin Muller. he's a, sorry, sorry, Jack, Austin Muller on the line with us here of hi-fi radio of course if you're just tuning in austin's a defense analyst uh with canaccord uh, an inside view uh on the conflict uh in uh the ukraine and of course the effects uh in on your pocketbook the effects on your rsp uh how it's inve- affecting the land escape but uh, jack if you don't mind i just want to uh, ask austin what we have him on the line um Austin, what are your views for 2023? Uh, what do you see next year? We're already halfway through this year, uh, and I think the, the, the immediate trend is going to be more of the same. But I am a little more optimistic about next year. Do you, can you share in my optimism, uh, or do you, do you remain quite you know uh, perplexed uh, as to how we're uh, globally going to work our way out of this uh, funk that we're in?
2: Sure. I mean, I guess it'll depend on on how things play out with uh, with the Federal Reserve and interest rates over over the next several months. And you know, if, if growth slows and we do do go into some sort of recession, how long the duration of that recession might be. Um, if we if we look specifically at the defense sector, though, uh, th- because of the Ukraine war, it's been relatively insulated. From, uh, you know, a lot of the economic risks right now. I mean, if you look at what the House Armed Services Committee just passed yesterday, they added another $37 billion to the fiscal year 23 uh, budget draft. So that'll get you to the largest U.S. defense budget ever of around uh, $810 billion. Um, Wow. And so... We'll uh, we'll see what happens ultimately with the November elections. I know that the uh, the Republican ranking members, the number twos on the on the armed services committees within Congress, have been pushing for additional defense funding uh, on top of what was planned in the in the Biden administration's draft to counteract inflation. So they want somewhere between three and five percent uh, real growth on the budget on top of whatever inflation is going to be uh, so um, that, that could be, um, you know, a, a way that we could see um, defense stocks outperforming some of the rest of the market, uh, just given the, the current conditions, especially into, into fiscal year 23, uh, if Congress changes hands.
1: Can you give us a couple of uh, preferred uh, picks right in here, Austin?
2: Sure. So, I mean, I, I continue to recommend Aerovironment, ticker ABAB. Uh, they manufacture what's called the switchblade loitering munition it's essentially a uh, a kamikaze drone that you launch and it uh, can has a range of between 10 and 40 kilometers and it can chase down a, a tank and it explode and blow it up so they've they've shipped about 700 to thousand switchblade drones to ukraine but the the real opportunity is they've been in discussions with Uh, potentially selling these drones to up to 20 NATO countries, which would really be the the incremental upside opportunity there. Uh, I've also continued to recommend Kratos, ticker KTOS, which has extensive exposure to drones and uh, hypersonics as well. Obviously, Russia's been using hypersonic missiles in Ukraine, as well as Maxar Technologies, ticker M-A-X-R, which... Um, just won a $3.2 billion contract from the National Reconnaissance Office to continue providing surveillance services uh, to the U.S.
3: government.
1: Uh, Jack, we got about 90 seconds. Uh, do you have any final questions for uh, our dear guest, Austin Muller?
3: Well, just looking at 2023, like you said, Wolf, well, I think it's uh, the, the key risks are uh, the Fed, as Austin talked about, the Ukraine war and a potential recession. So uh, the fact that uh, that Russia seems to be stalling, uh, at least in, in Ukraine, uh, tells me that there may be hopefully a, a shorter resolution to this and, and a positive outcome for 2023. So i just like to say that I think that was a, a quite positive uh, comment that, that that Austin made and uh, potentially positive for the 2023 outlook.
1: Uh, let's hope the communication lines open up in uh, Russia as well, uh, that the people get the real news as to what's taking place. Um, 15 seconds, is there any any, any change in uh, the media ban in uh, in Russia, or is, is, is the truth getting through and you got 15 seconds for this, Austin?
2: Um I would say that there's still an extensive amount of propaganda in Russia. I'm sure there's a lot of people in Russia who don't believe it, but also it's all, it's pretty much all they're hearing uh, in the media and in social media that they they need to fight this war against Ukraine and against the government in Kiev. Yeah, sad.
1: Uh, Austin Muller, I want to wish you a great weekend. Thank you very kindly for the brilliance and update uh, on the uh, situation. Uh, very very insightful, and thanks for your. Top picks as well. Appreciate that. Uh, friends, we're going to take a quick break and get uh, over with our friend Don Vilo. He's a market technician, a seasonal investor, uh, and a man with about 50 years of experience on uh, Bay Street. Uh, you want to stay tuned for this. You're going to learn something. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto.
0: Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment. On 640 Toronto.
1: little spring of my stride here this evening. Probably it's been a tough, tough, tough six months managing money, a lot of hand-holding, and uh know, some long faces. It, uh, it happens. Uh, everything is temporary, my friends. Good days, bad days, they're all temporary, but uh, over the course of time, own good stuff, you're going to do very, very well, and uh, importantly so, uh, when you're building a wealth plan. Uh, it's a plan of decades. Uh, it's a plan of consistency. Uh, every paycheck, take some money aside and invest. And that way you're going to buy on weakness and you buy in strength. And in weakness, you buy a little more and on strength, you buy a little less. Uh, they call that dollar cost averaging. It works. The math doesn't lie. And if you want the real fruit um, Jack continuously reminds us about Warren Buffett. Jack, tell them all about Warren Buffett and when he made his money, and, but, as well as long as he's been an investor.
3: Well, he's always been an investor, Wolfie, uh, and we talked about it. That uh, A lot of billionaire, uh, billionaire investors actually started with paper routes, so they started very early, uh, and they used time and compounding on their side. And uh, believe it or not, but I think Warren Buffett generated 99% of his wealth after most people retire, he developed it or uh, generated it after the age of 60, if
1: you can believe it. Yep, yeah, 95% of, bu- and Buffett's worth, my good friends, uh, I believe it's about 100, call it $100 billion, maybe $120 billion. So Warren Buffett made approximately, call it $95 billion post age 60. Uh, did he work harder? Nope. Uh, did he work longer hours? Nope. Did he work smarter? probably not, although he gets, I think, smarter each and every day. It was all about the math of compounding. Uh, compounding takes decades, but once you lay down three or four or five decades of building wealth, uh, the, the the exponential change is remarkable. In other words, 5% on a billion is less than 5% on a hundred billion. Uh, and if you want uh, some misery uh, and, as company, Buffett probably has lost the most amount of money this year. Yes, Buffett would probably be down $20 billion this year. So if you're down hundred dollars or ten dollars or fifty dollars you can laugh at Buffett. He's down $20 billion this year alone. Does he care? No, because he knows it's temporary. Don Vilo, uh, seasonal investor, uh, chartered, chartered market technician, veteran of Bay Street, author. And a very passionate man, also spends a lot of his time um, driving cancer patients uh, to treatment, uh, part of his retirement. Uh, but he's very passionate about the markets and uh, never takes his eye off the ball. Uh, I receive a morning comment from him each and every day, tech talk, uh, pre-opening comments, loaded with charts, loaded with information. Uh, thank you, Don. Uh, welcome back, my good friend. Uh You know, standing out to me right here, right now, uh, oil has been obliterated. Uh, Oil was the darling, the only sector to rise on Bay Street and Wall Street, for that matter. This is the only sector that's up this year is energy. But the month of June has been atrocious to it. Uh, And I will say, I saw some numbers. With this kind of a give back, historically speaking, there's never been an occurrence when oil has fallen this much in a month. And it didn't move higher 12 months later, according to... uh, I can't remember who wrote the piece. You saw it this morning, too, as well, Jack. So, Don, uh, let's, let's, start, let's start with energy. Um, do you sell your oil stocks here? Do you buy your oil stocks here? Or do you zen in the art and just close your eyes and leave them alone?
4: Well, that's a good example, uh, Wolf, of uh, what, how these, uh, these markets move. Uh, clearly, we've seen uh, a huge drawdown in uh, North American equity markets since the beginning of the year. Uh, and uh, there's a indicator that tells you that it was a uh, bank of america has a bull and bear indicator for the s&p 500 it can register from 0.0 to 1 or to 10, uh 0.0 being extremely bearish and 10 being extremely bullish you can pretty well guess where it is right now it's at 0.0 and it's just started <laughs> it to come higher right now uh That's that's the same level it was back in March of 2020 when uh, the COVID-19 scare happened. We've seen the S&P 500 down 24% since the beginning of January, NASDAQ since last November down 35%, and even the TSE Composites down 15%. But it tells you these are uh, cycles that the markets go through. Uh, You're mentioning oil, a good example of oil. Historically, the energy stocks have a difficult time going into the springtime. And then usually right around fall of each year, they have a nice move on the upsides. So, uh, sure, they come down a long way, but the whole way of looking at it is that the weakness we've seen in equity markets and in the oil sector ultimately provides a buying opportunity at the right price.
1: Jack, you've been saying frequently, and again, I can throw it back to you, Jack. You're, you're, you're quote about know, the price you pay, as eloquently as you can uh, share with your audience, because there's a lot of wisdom in this. Friends, pay attention to what Jack's about to say. Jack, go for it.
3: Just goes to what Don's talking about, Wolf. If you, if you pay less for something, uh, meaning if you pay less than what the average is, uh, I'm going to say that the multiple for the S&P 500 historically is uh, 15 times the earnings. If you pay 10% less than that, then you would expect over the long term, and when I say long term, I'm talking over the next 10 years, to generate an extra 1% on top of the normal S&P 500 return. So what that means is that the S&P is historically generated one or 10%, then you'd expect to generate 11 So simple stuff, but it's true. And if you overpay for something, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world, Wolf. It just means that if you overpay by, say, 20%, then potentially your longer-term return would be, call it 8 so again, not the end of the world, but people tend to behave like it is uh, with their the behavioral biases uh, and emotions. When, when the market goes sour, they, they tend to fail at the wrong time when they should be buying, uh, as you said just, just yesterday in the office.
1: The price you pay matters, my friend. If you overpay for something, it doesn't mean you can't make money as Jack's pointing. It just means that your future average return will be less. So again, right here, right now, done. again, the market's down 25%. And though I don't think the market was excessively priced, but against the interest rate changing backdrop, perhaps it was. But at these levels, would you say that the market is fairly valued, again, based on interest rates and based on you know, the next 12 months of growth or lack thereof, uh, how do you think the, the, the market is fundamentally priced on fairly, below value, or still above value, or above average
4: value? Yeah, it's fascinating to see how these things are evolving. We are actually seeing uh, North American equity markets uh, enter into a very important time in history. Uh, Hmm. Historically, we've seen uh, North American equity markets uh, in in their 10-year cycle. They have a history of bottoming in the second year of the 10-year cycle. So this Hmm. is the second year. That's 2022. So you would normally expect the markets, both U.S. and Canada, to bottom right around June of 2022. looks like we might have seen that. Uh, Looking at the uh, U.S. presidential cycle, interesting, interesting. Look, It's a four-year cycle, and the S&P 500 on average uh, reaches a very important low right around uh, the end of June in the mid-second hmm. year after the president's been elected. And that's because the president does all kinds of uh, difficult things in the second year of his presidency, and markets don't like that very much, and they tend to move uh, markets slower in, in the U.S. Uh, markets. Now, looking at another study, this was done by Equity Clock, they look at the U.S. presidential cycle when there's a change in the presidency from one party to the next. And, and no surprises here. The low in the uh, U.S. equity market uh, during the four-year cycle then happens to be right around June of the second year after the president is wow. elected.
1: That's a good factor. Don, we have to take a quick break, but uh, you've given us three points of optimism, Uh, slightly longer-term optimism. That's really what I want the listeners at home to sort of hang their hat on. Uh, It will serve them well over time. Uh, Quick break, Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle, producer, myself, Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager, along with Jack, of course. Uh, Questions for us between now and then, WolfgangKlein.com. Quick break, get right back to the show. Thank
0: you. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome back, my friends. That's what the show's all about? We want you to have more of it, and sometimes we have to uh, keep you from yourself. You know, let's talk gut feel for thirty seconds. Gut feel is pretty good. Uh, gut feel, I think, can gut feel uh, can I think serve you well in many aspects of life. Um, but I'm a table. I'm going to question uh, Jack and Don, and you 10 second answer. Uh, what do you think, guys? When it comes to the market? Follow your gut, or be counterintuitive and go against your gut. You know, to make an outsized return. Jack, I'm going to start with you and throw that question to, to Don.
4: Yeah, you need to look at uh, what history tells you, and uh, based on that, uh, you look at the, what the market's currently doing. A good example of that uh, during the last uh, week, we've seen uh, short-term momentum indicators for both the TSE Composite and the uh, S&P 500 turned finally higher which is a uh, the first indication that history is going to repeat implying that the uh, likelihood of recovery uh, from a very important low in june has
3: already started you you gotta go against your gut wolf you gotta make the difficult trade and that's typically the right one
1: the tough trade is the right trade and the tough trade is gut-wrenching so friends please in this world trust me don't follow your gut follow the math Just follow the math. And the math says just keep buying consistently little pieces of good stuff. See, you can't buy a little piece of a cottage. You're buying the cottage or you're not buying the cottage. That house that you love, no little pieces. Even a condominium, you sort of got to buy the whole piece with the bank as your partner. Um, But when it comes to the equity market, uh, you can buy one share of Suncor, one share of Microsoft to get yourself started. Don't advise that, but you can do that. You can buy little pieces of it. Along the way to help average out your price point, Uh, so Don, uh, when there's a change in uh, presidency, uh, the market too historically then has found a low in the month of June. I'm going to say, and this is very interesting because again, I'm writing notes to my clients to convey my thoughts along with Jack's on the market, and again. We continuously speak in the world, or try to communicate in the world of probabilities. There is no guarantee in what I am saying is going to be correct. We are trying to speak in the, in, in in high probable manner, but again, outside or er, 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 not erroneous. Er, erroneous uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, weird things can happen. Long tail events can happen that can throw the averages out of um, whack. So you know, with with that on the table. Uh, you're really the only guy speaking perhaps that a low in June is in. Uh, and I'm going to say there's a, there's a probability it's 30% uh, a low is in. I think consensus remains that a low won't be made until there's a pivot in the Fed. Sorry, guys, technical speak. What we're talking about is the central banks globally are raising interest rates. When they give the market a signal that they're going to stop raising rates or not raise rates as quickly as you know 75 basis points, that will give the market reason to change Direction from trending lower to trending higher. So uh, what do you think uh, what's the probability of a low being in today? June as you've been discussing versus the probability of a low for the market coming in the fall Versus the probability of a low for the market coming in next year. So three three outcomes
4: Yeah, very important the market is focusing on interest rates and clearly the market is anticipating an increase in interest rates uh, uh, Going forward. That's the main reason for the weakness in equity markets. But the thing is, markets has already anticipated uh, major increases in in interest rates. Uh, Mm -hmm. We saw the uh, uh, CPI in the US, 8.6% last week, and we saw the, in Canada, CPI was up by 7.6%, I believe. So Mm -hmm. these are huge numbers. Uh, The thing is that the market has has fully anticipated these increases in numbers. And the question is, where is uh, inflation going from here? and something to watch very shortly uh, there's something called the PCE uh inflation index or price index coming out on uh, June the 30th in the United States and uh it will give a pretty indica- good indication if the inflation rate in the states has passed its peak if there's a perception that the inflation rate in the US has passed its peak from that report there's a pretty good chance that'll happen and that's going to be the setting up for equity markets to move significantly higher going through the rest of this year.
1: British- well, more optimism. And, and Jack, you picked up on uh, the bond market action this week, uh, where interest rates, i.e. yields, actually fell uh, quite significantly on the 10-year. Uh, uh, briefly, speak to that. What is the bond market telling us, uh, Jack?
3: That, that's telling us exactly what Don uh, is talking about, that you know, potentially uh, the rate of change for inflation has peaked. So uh, if we're hmm. expecting a, a slower economy, then you would expect the yield, uh, the, the amount that people would accept for the 10-year bond to be lower. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So if that's the case, I would say that's very constructive for uh, a bullish case for the market. So there's a there's a lot of bearish cases out there, a lot of negativity. Uh, that may be a little green shoot that's uh, that peaking up here, that uh, if we're past uh, peak inflation, and the market is expecting higher interest rates, um, there may be an opportunity for us to get a bit of a a summer rally uh, that people aren't really expecting.
1: Uh, Another point that I I picked up this week, uh, again, looking for market intelligence constantly to get clues, uh, because the market is forward-looking, and it's telling you – a lot about the future if you pay attention to the details, which is what pros like Jack and I are paid to do each and every day. Um, the government bond. Uh, interesting. There's a 30-year government bond constantly uh, available. If you purchase the government of Canada, it's, it's almost AAA. Uh, AAA bond 12 months ago uh, when they issued it at what's called PAR, which is 100. And uh, 12 months ago, they promised you to give you your $100 back uh, in 30 years plus pay you interest each year of 2%. That was the government's promise, or is the government's promise to you. If you take that government bond 12 months later, i.e. today, and sell it, it's worth 25% less. That bond, the Government of Canada bond, has fallen 25% in 12 months or less. Uh... I couldn't believe that number it's, it's remarkable and again there's math behind it it's all about duration risk or interest rate change interest rates go up bonds go down that marketable security is worth 25 less if you hold it to maturity i promise you, you'll you get your hundred dollars back because the taxpayer says so uh but between now and then you just took a huge haircut and was a very safe security but don and jack i also looked at the junk bond index and it is down half of the market it is only down so junk bonds are down 12% whereas the government of Canada bond is down 25% and the stock market is down 25% so what I'm seeing with junk debt which is corporate debt holding in much better is reminds me that corporate balance sheets are fine companies don't go bankrupt when they have a strong balance sheet uh, which again is a signal of future optimism my friends stay the course It's all about the long term. And again, if you're not sleeping at night, you have the wrong plan. Call us and we'll do a review for you. No charge. WolfgangKlein.com Have a safe weekend. Have a prosperous weekend. Uh, Thanks for spending some time with us. We love you very much. All the best.
0: (coughs) The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.